is from 3CR chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness to speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and take the valley of Pekor, the door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my babe. For I will remove the names of the Boaz from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, sorry, the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will, I will serve her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, the New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Verse 1. And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with the lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there is not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, church. It's uh, wonderful to see you here uh, on this uh, chilly Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Huey, if we haven't met, and uh, it's great to see some new faces among us. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time, a uh, special welcome to you. Uh, welcome to all our regulars, and if you're joining us on Zoom, uh, it's great to, to see you uh, joining us this morning as well. Uh, well, we're going to uh, have a look at Matthew 25 in, in a fair amount of detail uh, this morning, so it'd be great if you can uh, have that passage open in front of you, and uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer that God will uh, help us uh, to understand His words. So, you join with me as I pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that... You have given us the scriptures, uh, which uh, is your breathed 
because the Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we pray, Father, this morning that uh, as we listen to these words, that you would indeed give us wisdom uh, to know how to live uh, in, in, a, in wise ways uh, that would be committed to the praise of Jesus. Uh, well, friends, uh, let me begin this morning by asking you, what type of person are you? Uh, what type of person are you? Uh, I don't know whether you've ever done a personality test, uh, but this week I did one of those, one of those online tests um, that's uh, loosely based on the Myers-Briggs personality test. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, who's done one of these tests before? Oh, well, many of us. Um, you know, you answer a whole range of questions, and at the end it will tell you your personality type. Uh, if you're wondering, uh, my, my personality type came out as ISSJ, ISSJ, so uh, I'm an introvert rather than an extrovert, uh, I'm a sensing person rather than in- intuitive, which means that I'm highly practical and down to earth, so they tell me. Uh, I'm a feeling person rather than a thinking person. Um, which doesn't mean that I don't think, but uh, it means that I'm uh, more uh, of an emotional kind of person. And uh, finally, I'm judging rather than prospecting, which uh, doesn't mean I'm judgmental, but it simply means I like structure rather than personality. Does that sort of seem to fit uh, what you know of me? Um, other people with ISSJ personality types are Queen Elizabeth II, and uh, Mother Teresa, which I, I was very, very happy, happy to hear about. But uh, apparently Kanye West is also an ISSJ type, so uh, I, I didn't quite have to think about that. But uh, many of us have this fascination of finding out what kind of people we are, don't we? Um, uh, it's interesting that, that most of us have done uh, similar personality tests in the past. And uh, uh, I take it that's why these sort of tests are so popular. We want to find out um, what kind of person we are so that we can understand ourselves and how we perceive the world that we live in and perhaps so we can better know how to live wisely in this world. Now, uh, we've been looking at Matthew's Gospel and uh, if you remember, Jesus has been saying that ultimately there are two types of people two types of people. There are those who are ready for the coming of the Son of Man in glory, and those who are not ready for that day, which will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. If you were here last week, you will know that uh, I think that in in, uh, this part of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his coming death and resurrection. That is what the disciples of Jesus were to get ready for. Uh, if you missed it, you can perhaps go back to my, my talks on this and uh, watch it again on YouTube. But in our case, the future event we are getting ready for is the second coming of Jesus, which will be the Judgment Day. And friends, uh, I want to suggest that this theme of whether 
you and I are people who are ready, uh, or someone who is not, extends to our passage this morning, and we can actually back right the way through chapter 25. Uh, you can see this theme at the very end of our passage this morning, don't you? Jesus says, if you have a look at verse 13 of chapter 25, verse 13 of chapter 25, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, the idea of watching is about being ready for the unexpected. Expected attack of the enemy. I think about those who are watching the latest ads on Gumtree uh, for that unexpected bargain that's going to pop up at any moment. The one who watches carefully is the one who is ready for that unexpected moment. And so, what type of person are you? Are you someone who is ready or someone who is not ready? When it comes to different types of people, this is the division that matters more than anything else. So what type of person are you? Is the question I want to think about with you this morning. Now, before we have a a look at our passage closely, uh, one thing I want you to notice is that chapter 25, um, sorry, in chapter 25, Jesus speaks in parables. Verses 1 to 13, you'll notice you, you know, we have the parable of the ten virgins. In verses 14 to 30, we have the parable of the talents. And in verses 31 to 46, we have the parable of the shepherd and uh, the sheep. But why does Jesus speak in parables? Well, uh, we often think that Jesus speaks in parables in order to make the message clear for everyone. I think the common understanding of parables is that you know, Jesus uses simple, down-to-earth uh, stories set in, in you know, common life in order to communicate his point more clearly so that people will understand. However, this cannot be further from the truth. For if you remember, Jesus has already explained in Matthew's Gospel that he tells parables in order to divide people. He tells parables so that on the one hand, his disciples will understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, while those who are not his disciples will simply be confirmed in their hard-heartedness towards God. Now, flip back with me to chapter 13, and uh, you'll see it there. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 10. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 10. Jesus has just told the parable of the sower uh, in this passage, and uh, listen to his interaction with his disciples from verse 10. It says, Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them, that is, the crowds, in parables? And he answered them, To you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
recently went on holidays in Canberra, and uh, I noticed some pretty graphic signs uh, on the road. Has anyone seen these signs in Canberra before? Uh, some of you may have uh, been there recently. But uh, there was this one sign with uh, a mutilated body on the side of the road, which read, Drink, Drive, Die in Deep. They certainly don't muck around uh, in Canberra, do they? Uh, they get straight to the point. Uh, but signs like this divide people, don't they? On the one hand, you have people who will see this sign and make sure they do not drink and drive, and so save their lives. But on the other hand, you will have people who ignore the sign and continue to drink and drive and think they can get away with it. Like every time they go past this sign, they are just confirmed in their stupidity. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying about the parables, which uh, in many ways is true of God's word in general. Every time the word of God is proclaimed, it actually divides people into those who trust it and find themselves one step closer to heaven those who reject it and ignore it, and it has no impact on their lives, so that they find themselves one step closer to hell. So you see, hearing the word of God, friends, is not a neutral exercise. In fact, it is the most dangerous thing you can do, because it divides people into two camps, and where you find it, and where you find yourself among these two camps have eternal consequences. I wonder whether we think about the Word of God in this way. Coming to church and hearing the Word of God is a very, very dangerous activity. Going to growth groups and hearing the Word of God is a very dangerous activity. Reading the Bible is a dangerous activity. It will either soften your heart trust God and live His way, or it will simply confirm you in your hardness of heart. I wonder how we are listening to the Word of God, uh, even this morning, as we hear from it. Now, uh, what does Jesus teach His disciples about getting ready for His coming in this parable? Uh, what does He have to say to His disciples? Well, the first thing I want you to see there is the setting of this parable. Notice that the setting of this parable is in fact a wedding banquet. Um, we see it there in verse 1 where uh, we are told of ten virgins or young unmarried women who are given the role of greeting the bridegroom with lamps when he arrives at the wedding reception at night. Now, it's hard to know what the wedding conventions of Jesus' day exactly were, but uh, we often see similar things in modern day weddings, don't we? I once went to a wedding where the bridal procession was greeted at the reception by um, a number of people who formed the guard of honour. I think a similar thing is going on here where these ten virgins are given the role of welcoming the bridal party or the bridal procession, especially the bridegroom, as he arrives at the wedding banquet. Now, uh, just to be clear, uh, these ten virgins 
are not all getting married to the bridegroom. Uh, this isn't a de- depiction of a polygamous marriage. Uh, in fact, the bride, who's often the center of, of attraction in, in most weddings, uh, is not even mentioned in this narrative, is she? Uh, rather, you can see there that these ten virgins are simply given a role to play in, pre- in preparation for the arrival of the bridegroom. Now, dear friends, I want you to see the significance of uh, the wedding banquet in this parable that Jesus tells. Uh, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus speaks about a wedding banquet here, because the idea of a wedding banquet is a very important one in the Bible. Uh, we, we saw it, for example, in our Old Testament passage this morning, didn't we? Uh, where the prophet Hosea looks forward to a great wedding day where God would be a husband and his wayward people, the people of Israel, would be a bride. On that day, the sins of the people will be dealt with and there will be great joy and celebration at the great wedding banquet. Uh, you can see uh, similar images in Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, if you're writing down notes, uh, all the way through the Old Testament. In other words, uh, the Old Testament speaks of God's plan for this world in terms of a great, joyous wedding celebration. Now, the prophets speak of a great day in the future where God will enter into this intimate uh, marriage relationship with his people and they will dwell in the kingdom of heaven forever. It's striking then that in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus arrives on the scene. And he starts referring to himself as the bridegroom. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, um, he refers to himself as the bridegroom. For you see, he is God in the flesh who has come to woo his bride so that they can live together in his eternal kingdoms. Uh, if you are someone who is prone to think of heaven as an endless and boring fire, uh, many people in our world often think about heaven. Uh, perhaps a more fruitful image to think about is that of a wedding banquet. Uh, it's, it's a place of laughter. Uh, it's, a, it's a place of, of great joy. It's the place where you will feast on the finest cuts of uh, beef and bottles of tenfold grains. But best of all, it will be a place where and I will dwell with the Lord Jesus Christ himself for all eternity as our husband. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it wonderful that Jesus in the Bible is described in this way. You see, Jesus is not only a teacher who comes to give us understanding, or he is not only our Lord who has authority over our lives, For he is not only our Savior who who saves us from our peril by dying for us on the cross, but he is also a husband who loves us, who is deeply committed to us and wants to woo us so that we will be together with him forever. Isn't that a wonderful image uh, to reflect on? However, friends, a sting in the tale of this parable is that not everyone finds
into the wedding banquet. Well, you can see there that there are two types of virgins. As you turn back to chapter 25, in verse 2, we'll see there that uh, five of these virgins are described as foolish, and the other five are described as wise. And later on, we see that the foolish ones are the ones who are shut out completely from the wedding banquet, while the wise are the ones who are able to join in the celebration. If the wedding banquet represents heaven itself, then the stakes are very high indeed in this parable that you think. Now, what is it that distinguishes the foolish and wise virgins? Well, on the one hand, you can see in verse 3 uh, that the foolish ones are the ones who take no oil with them for their lamps. Uh, that would be a bit like you know, taking a modern-day torch when you go camping without any spare batteries. So that when they need to produce the light, they simply can't do so. On the other hand, you can see there in verse 4 that the wise versions are the ones who bring with them some spare AA batteries, so to speak. Now, the consequences of this soon become apparent in this parable, don't they? Well, you can see there in verse 5 that the bridegroom is delayed in his coming. It's interesting, isn't it, that here the bridegroom, who obviously represents Jesus, is delayed in his coming, while in the parable of the wise and wicked servants that we saw last week, the master comes earlier than expected. In other words, the point is that no one knows the day or the hour that the master or the bridegroom will come. And the point follows that when, when the bridegroom finally is around the corner, the wise virgins are ready to do their job and so welcome, uh, and so find themselves welcomed into the wedding banquet while the foolish ones need to go and buy more oil. Now, tragically, while they are away, the bridegroom arrives and shuts the door of the banquet so that when the foolish virgins eventually come back, they cannot enter the wedding banquet. But how are we to understand what is going on here? What does Jesus want to teach his disciples as he tells them this parable? Well, uh, lots of people try to understand this parable by asking, uh, what does the lamp represent? Um, or what does the oil in particular represent? Uh, for example, it's not uncommon to read commentaries which suggest that the oil represents faith or the Holy Spirit, as I found out this week. However, not only is this too subjective, because uh, in actual fact, in the Bible, oil can represent uh, any number of things. But more importantly, in the end, I don't think it actually agrees with the rest of the Bible. Because we don't have a God who sort of gives faith and then takes it away. We don't have a God who gives the Holy Spirit and props us up a little bit, only to take that away take him away from us later on. So I don't think the oil symbolizes anything. One commentator says the oil symbolizes oil. But the 
simple point that Jesus is making in chapter 1 is that the wise virgins are the ones who have prepared well for the coming of the bridegroom, while the foolish virgins are the ones who have not prepared. But here's the thing. Notice how the wise virgins treat the foolish virgins when they are asked to help with the oil situation. Uh, in verse 5, the bridegroom is delayed. In verse 6, somebody cries out that the bridegroom is on his way. In verse 7, all the virgins get their lamps out and ready. But of course, the foolish virgins find that they don't have enough oil. And so in verse 8, they ask the wise virgins if they can borrow some of their oil. And listen to what the wise virgins say to them in verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. The wise virgins say, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, what do you think about that? Did the wise just share what they had? After all, aren't disciples of Jesus called to do good works and to share with those who are in need? I reckon that if you think about what is happening here, uh, you can see uh, at least uh, a few very important principles that we can learn from the response of the wise to the foolish. Firstly, the wise are the ones who prioritize the work that the bridegroom has given. The wise are the ones who prioritize the work that the bridegroom there in what they say in verse 9, can't you? They say, you know, if, if, if we give our oil to you, then we ourselves won't have enough oil to do our job. You see, the wise virgins are the ones who refuse to compromise when it comes to doing the work that the bridegroom has given them to do. Secondly, the foolish virgins able to rely on the preparations of others when it comes to finding entry into the work. Say that again. The foolish virgins are not able to rely on the preparations of others when it comes to finding entry into the work. Often when new people come to visit our church and uh, I get into a bit of a conversation with them, I asked a very common diagnostic question that goes something like this. I asked, uh, if you were to die tonight and God asked you why he should let you into heaven, uh, what would you say to him? If you were to die tonight, if you were to lose your life tonight, and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say to him? Thankfully, lots of people tell me that they would answer by saying that they are relying on the death and resurrection of Jesus for their sins. However, you'd be surprised how many people say to me that they think they will get to heaven simply because they were raised in a Christian family um, or because their parents were Christians or because they are in community with other Christians who are very committed 
or because they identify with certain preachers that they have. Friends, can you see here that Jesus would say, you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven simply by relying on the preparation of others. You cannot get into the kingdom of heaven by riding on the coattails of others who have prepared well in their Christian lives. What Jesus is saying here is that when, when he comes, each and every one of us will be individually responsible for how we have prepared for that day. Now, you might have heard the well-known saying that says, it's too bad that all the people who know how to run the country are too busy driving taxis and cutting hair. Sorry if you're a taxi driver or, or a barber or an understuff. It's true, isn't it? Have you ever gone into a taxi and the driver expert on how to run the country, or getting your hair cut, and the father knows everything about how to run the country. But of course, the point is that it's easy if you don't take any responsibility for yourself. Friends, have you taken responsibility for your own practice? Some of you are younger members of our church. It's a wonderful blessing from God to have grown up with Christian parents. But just ask people who have not grown up with Christian parents, and you will know just how much of a blessing it is. But have you taken responsibility for your own place? Or have you rather simply relying on Some of you have been backsliding for many years in your Christian life. Have you taken responsibility for your own faith? And especially if you are a father amongst us, have you taken responsibility for the faith of your family? It's so easy to blame others. I've been hurt by church in the past. Or my job is too demanding. There's no one helping me to do it. But somewhere along the line, you need to take responsibility for your own practice. You cannot get into the kingdom of heaven simply by riding on the coattails of others. But friends, what does it mean to be prepared? Well, the five foolish virgins in this parable are the ones who were not prepared for Jesus. Whereas the five wise virgins are the ones who were prepared. But what does it actually look like to be prepared and to be ready for that second coming? Well, in one sense, uh, we can't answer that question completely just by looking at our passage this morning, because uh, the whole of chapter 25 is seeking to answer that question. And uh, we'll see. Uh, in coming weeks, more and more of what it looks like to be prepared. However, in this passage, we are given an important clue. Uh, you can see it in Jesus' response uh, to the foolish virgins who come to the wedding banquet late after the door is firmly shut. Uh, let's pick it up on verse 10, and uh, we'll read this together. Verse 10, 
And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. They are chilling words, aren't they, from the lips of Jesus himself. Now, I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying that he doesn't recognize these five foolish virgins here. After all, he is the one who gave them their role in uh, lighting up their lamps in the darkness of the first place. But he is saying here that he doesn't want anything to do with them. It's the chilling words of Jesus that says, I'm now disassociating myself. Now, does anyone remember where else in Matthew's Gospel we hear similar words of Jesus, similar words from the lips of Jesus? He has spoken very similar words before. Well, um, some of you will, will know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, um, we, we see these words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse, verse 21, and listen to what Jesus says there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says uh, these words. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But you see, my friends, the ones who are prepared and ready for the coming of Jesus in Matthew's gospel are the ones who are known by Jesus. Who are the ones who are known by Jesus? Well, they are the ones who not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. They are the ones who not only hear the words of Jesus, but obey the words of Jesus from the heart, so that they do the will of the Father in heaven. In other words, they are the ones who recognize for themselves that Jesus is of their lives. And so they live their lives for him and for his kingdom. That's what it looks like to be wise and that's what it looks like to be prepared in this world. Now, this week I caught up with an old friend of mine. I was really looking forward to catching up with him because uh, he was someone very active uh, in serving Jesus during our university days. When I caught up with him, uh, it was uh, very, very sad because he said to me, I have connected. I no longer want to live the Christian life. Uh, I just want to get on with living my own life and not worrying too much about serving Jesus as my king. I don't necessarily want to stop going to church my wife wants to go to church, so I keep on supporting her with that. 
But I do want to just concentrate on that a few minutes more. And Jesus could say, what foolish things you do. That is precisely what the Israelites were not prepared for. Are you someone who is prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus? Are you someone whom God has given uh, the wisdom to recognize Jesus as the King of your life, so that you are now living for Him and His kingdom? What Jesus says to His disciples here is that those who have been given such wisdom by God are the ones who will do the will of the Father. And He warns and encourages His disciples to keep watch over their lives that they will continue to trust in Christ and continue to work out their salvation year after year. But if today um, you have realized that you have not been living in wisdom but in foolishness, well, why don't we do something about that today? The stakes are very high indeed. For make no mistake, one day you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes in glory. For if you die, you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Whichever comes first, you will give an account to Him on the earth. Those who are foolish will be locked out of the kingdom of heaven. Those who are wise will be welcomed into the great wedding banquet. I hope that Jesus' words here trouble you to do something about it. That you might pray to God that He would give you a heart of wisdom that you would turn from your ways to the King who has your soul. It's not too late to become wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. So we can do that this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning, and uh, we thank you especially for the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross for our sins. We thank you for his resurrection and ascension as the Lord of all things and all people in this world. And we thank you that one day he will return to judge the living and the dead and to put all things right. So, Father, we pray that in light of this, you will help us to live in real wisdom. Help us to fear you, which is the beginning of wisdom, and to humbly listen to you and obey you, and live for the kingdom of our Lord Jesus rather than living our own way. Help us not to foolishly think in our hearts that there is no God, and therefore be ill-prepared for the day of our Lord's coming. Help us to keep watch, looking forward with great anticipation to that great wedding banquet that you promised to all those who love you. We pray these.